We're going to continue this morning in worshiping the Word. We believe that everything we do um, is worship, so we don't kind of break that into um, just singing or just um, reading the Word or just preaching or just this or just that. But we believe we're called to lives of worship, and so we're going to continue this morning worshiping God together. And um, I'm super excited um, about, we, I, you know, I really struggle. I thought, you know, Mother's Day is such a huge deal, and the, the Word calls us to honor your father and mother. And yet, we really wanted to, to continue in this series. And I, I, I love how God lines things up because this morning where we're at in this series, studying the, book, the gospel of Mark is on point for some things that maybe we've experienced in real life, but even more profoundly about the things that Jesus is calling us to in our lives. If you don't know, if you've not been with us, what we're doing is we're going line by line through the gospel of Mark. We've been doing it for like a long time since now, not every week we took some breaks in there, but like since last summer, we started this journey in Mark and we're about three-fourths of the way through right now. And it's just been awesome um, to kind of just walk through the word of God, listening to the narrative of Jesus, this one that we claim as Lord and Savior. It's such a big deal to know who we're talking about when we say Jesus is my whatever for you, right? So many of us have these ideas, but we don't necessarily think deeply or read even what Jesus' own life was about. The, go- the Gospel of Mark can be read in about two hours. So if you think, I don't have time to read the Bible, um, literally, you can go to like Bible Gateway or the Bible app on your phone, and you can play back the Gospel of Mark in, in about two hours, two, two hours, 15 minutes, which is not a lot of time. I know some people commute almost an hour each way every day to work. So um, find a way to, to ingest the Word of God. It's so powerful. I might encourage you to do that. And then I want to start off today a little different than we're doing in the series because um, we have family groups meeting on Monday and Wednesday night. Um, by the way, you might have got the tweet that said that family groups did not meet Wednesday. There was a minor crisis, but it's resolved. So they are meeting this Wednesday again. If you're wondering if you're in that group, you can go out to the Harrisons in New Douglas if you're near them um, or we just want to go hang out with the Harrisons because they're awesome people. And then we are having it Monday night at our house, um, which is down in Washington here in Highland. Um, if you want to host a family group, we're always open to that as well. So if you go, I can't make those two, but I'd love to have one talk to us. We'd love for you to have one as well. So um, chat with us about that. But we were talking in family group, and one thing that actually came up, and it was part of the discussion in family group, and part of the discussion after service last week, um, you remember we talked about how Jesus was the, the, the rich, I always want to say this, but the rich man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, well, just, you know, get, give everything you have to the poor, and, and then come follow me. And the man went away sad, the word says, because he had much and we talked about that a little bit afterwards. And I wanted to talk about this idiom of a, an, 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 a camel through the eye of a needle just for a minute because it came up immediately after service and in family groups. What does that really mean? I, and so I want to kind of lay out a few things that you might think, well, what does this matter? But I think we should get to the core teaching what Jesus is saying about this whole issue. I was kind of d- pushed me back into some more research this last week. So, first of all, the first thing I heard immediately, and you maybe heard this before in church, which is fine, is that there was this gate in Jerusalem called the Neil Gate, and in order for uh, a camel to get through the gate, the camel had to get down on its knees, have all of its baggage unloaded, all of its wealth unloaded, and then had to crawl through the gate. If you ever see, there's actually pictures online you can see of the Neil Gate with the eye of the needle, which is a small door that they would close the big door at night so that in the nighttime they had to come through in a very submissive way into the Jerusalem. How many have heard that before? That, that, yeah, many people have heard that. And that's a beautiful illustration of this rich man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? And Jesus says, just give up everything and follow me. And then the man goes away sad because he will not unpack his wealth. Um, the, 
the uh, issue is when I look into that, there's not much historical accuracy to that. Uh, it seems it was a, maybe like a 15th century kind of contrivance. There is a gate now called Needle, and there is an eye of Needle door now in the gate called Needle, but it seemed like it was such a great sermon illustration that people couldn't help but make a gate, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so what does it mean then? And then it's, I want to unpack it a little bit. So there's this other idea which was really fascinating to me, which, which was um, that uh, there was rope made of camel's hair that was used to tie boats to the shore. Because someone said, it's not really a real needle, is it? But it actually means one to sew with. It literally means a sewing needle. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, he means a surgeon's needle, which is interesting because we call him a doctor. And he, he was, um, had it more of like a, sew, like a surgeon's needle. But there's this idea that these were fishermen that Jesus was talking to. And there's a very close word. It looks like camel, but it means uh, rope, or there's a fancy word for it, but it's like the thing you tie up a mooring to a boat, to an anchor, or to a dock so it doesn't float away. And it would be the same issue there. You could not fit it through the eye of a sewing needle. It, wouldn't, it would be impossible. And that would make sense to those first century hearers. But then there's a third possibility. And the third possibility is that he meant a camel, and he meant the eye of a needle. And there's actually a, a Jewish idiom uh, that in other regions, in Persia was, you can't fit an elephant through the eye of a needle. And it meant an elephant and the eye of a needle. In, in um, Jerusalem, the largest animal they would have seen would not have been an elephant. As a matter of fact, I just heard this week, someone sold an empire for 500 elephants back in the day. If you're a history buff, you probably know that story. But they sold an entire empire for elephants because they hadn't seen them before. Um, but the camel would have been the biggest animal that they could ever see, practically. And that would be very relatable. Man, how does that animal fit through that needle? And I was thinking about that, and I thought, man, why don't we like, why don't we like that? Why do we like so much more that uh, an, an animal have to get down on its knees and crawl through the gate in submission? I think because it fits all the boxes for us. But I think even more because it creates a way that it can be done. You see that? And I just want to go back and say that. I don't usually do that, but I want to... It creates a way that it's accessible. And, and the reason that that maybe isn't the right way to look at that story is because the disciples were astonished at the teaching. You see, they weren't like, oh, that's that gate where the camels get unloaded, and okay, so we have to unload our baggage. And they weren't like that. They were like, what? S what? If that's true, then who can be saved? And I want to say one more thing about this, and we're going to pick up right there this morning and move forward in the text. But there was a misconception in the time of Jesus that every hardship, every difficulty was a curse from God. Remember the blind man. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Because someone sinned because of hardship. There's no doubt there has to be sin if there's hardship. And the reciprocal was, if you're wealthy, if you're well-off, if God is blessing you abundantly, then clearly you have God's favor. And in this moment when this man who had been blessed abundantly, and you'll remember who said, I have kept all these since I was a boy. He's been obedient. Says, what must I do? And Jesus says, one thing you lack. And he leaves sad. The disciples say, if the wealthy can't be saved, if the holy can't be saved, who can be saved? And that's where we start today. With Jesus' teaching, that with men, you can't. But with God, all things are possible. We're going to tie this all together this morning. You know, I keep telling you, 
the key to understanding a text is the context it's written in. Why we're reading through the Bible this way and teaching through the Bible this way. We, we can't disjoint the text from itself and make it, make it say what we want it to say. And I am guilty of this. We're all guilty of this in some way. We have to look deeply and say, what is Jesus teaching about his kingdom coming? What is he teaching? And today we're going to expound on an idea of what it takes to be saved. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We always do. And then I'm going to ask you to open a Bible. If you brought one, that's awesome. If you didn't bring a Bible today, there should be someone on the tables in front of you. Grab a Bible. Look at the Word. Um, I would encourage you later, if I say something, you're like, that's craziness. Look it up in the Scripture and read it. Pray about it. God, what does this really say? I'm not here to um, make much of myself. and I'm not here to um, undermine anything that you've believed or been taught before. But what I want us to know, and me too, folks, I want us to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus. I want us to know it fully, completely, because it is the only thing that has the power to save. Jesus is the only one who has the power to save. And that's my um, belief from reading his scripture. So pray with me if you will. We're going to ask for his wisdom and insight, and we're going to just walk through a, a series of texts this morning together. Uh, Father God, we do thank you so much for the chance to be here and to worship you. We thank you that um, the miracle of life that we celebrate today, that you knit us together in our mother's womb. And honestly, Lord, we know the miracle of that. Um, and we also know that um, motherhood comes with uh, pain and difficulty at times. And life comes with pain and difficulty at times. And, and this holiday can mean so much to so many but, but we want to remember today that ultimately it's you. That no matter where we are, we have been blessed. We have been blessed because we're here. Because you thought we were a good idea. As your people, as individuals, indeed as souls that you breathe life into. I pray that we could find the ability today by the power of your spirit to dwell in your presence, to set at your feet and to learn of the true riches that we have inherited in Christ Jesus. I pray, Father God, that um, those wounds that can keep us from you, those things that scar up and we go, oh, man, I just got to fake it for one more day and then but we would not live there. We would live with the surgeon who would want to excise that from our life and let us be whole and complete and restored. I pray that would happen. I pray a prayer not of the hope of men, but a hope in God that you could do only what you could do and that your people could be fully restored and glorify you. May you open the word, open our minds to it, open our hearts to believe it, and then help us to live it out each day. We thank you so much for your mercy for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up in Mark 10. I think it's around page 707 or so. That's kind of a guess this morning. I think that's right. Um, we're going to pick up right back in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Just kind of linking this together again. So Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is not possible, but with God, but not so with God. With God all things are possible. Now, this raises in Peter a, 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 almost an immediate response to Jesus. Remember, Peter was a fisherman right? Peter was following Jesus, and he immediately responds, and this is what he says. We have left everything to follow you. He just had said about this rich man that he had to leave everything and follow, and Peter's like, we've done that. We've left everything to follow you. He's crying out in a way in desperation, 
And, and Jesus says this, I will tell you the truth. No one has left home or brothers or sister, sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who, will, who, who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This whole illustration from this other man triggers something in Peter. said, we've done this. We're pursuing you. We've left everything. And you can almost hear in Peter the lament of the cost of discipleship. You can imagine this was not an impractical thing for them, that they had walked away to pursue Jesus, that they had believed there was something better in him. You remember, I have to say it again, even Peter was the one who said, you are the Messiah. So he knows the weight of who Jesus is. And yet here he says, we've left everything to follow you. I want to point out a couple of things in Jesus' answer that's going to be the foundation of what we're going to talk about today. And it's this, that there are two good reasons to leave everything in your life. We talked last week about the way we kind of put things on scales versus Jesus. Everything's versus Jesus. What do we want more than Jesus? And Jesus says today there's two good reasons to leave everything behind. And the first is for the sake of him. For the sake of Jesus in your life. This is a consistent teaching in Scripture, by the way. This isn't a one-off kind of wonder here. He says, no, there is something in life that's more valuable than all the things you hold dear, and it's Messiah. It's the Son of Man. It's the only one who can save, and he wants us to know that. So that's the first. And then the second reason that is worthy of leaving everything behind is for the gospel. Do you see that? That's the good news. Let's just think for a moment about the journey of Jesus. Do you remember how he got up and left to go and proclaim the kingdom of God? Do you remember how his friend was beheaded for holding up a high moral standard for men. Do you remember how his mother and brothers came to get him because they thought he was crazy? He was living this model out for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus says there's two reasons that you should leave everything behind. I want to kind of unpack also, look at the stuff that's worth leaving behind because I think especially on a day like Mother's Day, this can be traumatic to hear. I, I, I kind of feel, although I'm a father, not a mother, so I don't feel it fully, but I hear enough and I, I understand enough of, of mom's angst over things like children leaving. It's a, one of the hardest things is that season of leaving. Matter of fact, some moms, maybe you're one of them, would, would just wish that no one would ever leave. But Jesus goes through a list that's very explicit about when Peter says we left everything, Jesus unpacks what that might mean. I want you to show you what he says here. No one who has left, that by the way, we're going to get back to that, no one, um, home, the place that you belong, the place that you're comfortable, the place where you're known and people know you. Or no one who left brothers, plural, you see that. Not a brother, not a brother you hate, but brothers, all right? or sisters. No one who left a mother. 
Just Peter says that. You think he's thinking of his mother? Lord, we've left everything to follow you. No one who's left a mother to follow me will fail to receive a reward. Next is what a father. You remember James and John in the boat, brothers of thunder. Jesus, come follow me. They're with their father in the boat. They drop their nets and they follow Jesus. They leave him. You remember the man who said, I want to follow you. Let me first go bury my father. And he said, if you're not willing to follow me, you're not worthy of me. No one who would leave children or no one who would leave lands will fail to receive a blessing. Lands, I think, is a bigger deal than we could ever imagine because land didn't mean ownership. We have a very Western view of what land means, but it's where you belong. It's like the ultimate home. This is why there's such a big conflict in the Middle East because this is our, our the dirt is us. I don't think we understand that in our culture very much. We buy and sell dirt. We trade on it, right? But there it's high and holy and does not change hands easily. People are willing to fight and die for the ground that they come from. So Jesus said, no one who leaves those things will go without a blessing, will fail to receive a hundred times as much and eternal life. Do you see the link? Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No one who's left these things for the sake of me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life and then eternal life. It might seem harsh. You, it seems unfair. Honestly, does it not seem unfair? Half the time, if you begin to follow Jesus passionately in your life, I'm telling you, half the time what you will hear from people is just slow down. Just slow down. We are comfortable with a following of Jesus that's not radical. We're comfortable with a following of Jesus that's very safe and secure and controlled and that we, I'm talking about us who are being left, are comfortable with. Do you pray for your children or for your family that God would radically move in their lives in such a way that they would be willing to leave you to pursue him? Many of us would much rather be comfortable. By the way, the word says leaving children. I don't think this means abandoning children on the side of the street, right? A um, couple ways I see this working out, right, is first of all, we will never leave the children. God, I will do every, anything you want, but I will never leave my children. When my children are grown, I will be where my children are. I don't care what else needs to ha- I will have to be. That's one of the ways it means leaving our children. We will not leave our children behind. There's lots of lack of faith in that, isn't there? Lots of lack of belief that there's something better that God has for us. But there's another way you could interpret that too, leaving children. Well, we can't put our children through that. If we follow Jesus radically, what would people say to our children about us? What would their experience be? And so we're not willing to go. I wonder, I wonder. We have men following Jesus. We have women following Jesus. We heard last week we have families coming to Jesus. And I wonder how many were packing up their entire family to pursue the Christ. Leaving homes and lands and going to uncertain places because they believed that he had eternal life. And the struggle and the hardship of that. Well, that's the hard thing. But I want to explain something to you about the church of Jesus Christ. And I've experienced this myself, but it's hard to explain, but it's true. And I hope you understand it. And I hope even more you've experienced it yourself. It says, no one who's left these things for the sake of, the king, of, of Jesus um, and the gospel 
will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. How does that work? And it says what? Look at the list again. A hundred times as much homes, a hundred times as much brothers, a hundred times as much sisters, a hundred times as much mothers. What? A hundred times as much children, a hundred times as much fields now. And persecutions. You're going to get it all times a hundred. Funny thing we do at Family Bible Church where we say we're family. Sometimes we have a conversation, people say, well, I don't have a family, so I'm not sure I can go to Family Bible Church. What? That's not what we're saying. <laughs> it's the family of God. We'll greet someone, we'll say, hey, brother, I love you. Hey, sister, I love you. You know, that's that kind of, no, because brothers and sisters in Christ. So much of the teaching of Scripture is rooted in this idea of being family. Who would treat a brother that way? Who would treat a sister that way? Resolve your conflict on the way. Don't go to another party to resolve conflict between brothers because you're brothers. The kinship in Christ is worth far more than anything you're going to get in the settlement agreement. No. More brothers, more sisters, more. Hard when his mothers. Isn't that hard? Have you experienced that though? more mothers in your life caring for you, being graceful to you. I see it. I see it not just in family Bible church, but in other churches as well. Women who just take children under their wing. I see it. I see it in family groups. Folks who just love on people where they are. Encourage them. Listen, I see it from families that don't have perfect mother and father, you know, structure. <laughs> I, I see blessing coming to families who believe they were orphaned or abandoned and they come into a family group or a church family that loves them well and they begin to realize that they're loved and they belong and that God cares for them. And they haven't believed it. I don't mean like haven't believed in their head. They haven't believed in their heart. They don't, they don't believe it's possible that God could love me like that. Listen, if, if you haven't begun to experience that, first of all, you haven't been part of the church family of God and if we haven't communicated that we have failed to be the church the family of God because that's the truth see so much of our our loss our sense of loss in following Jesus is because we're so focused on, on the little bit that we think we have but when we get all of us get what God has for us it's multitudes multitudes of mothers brothers sisters houses I've seen this worked out in generosity in the church. You need, a, you need a car? Take my car. You need a house? Stay at my house for a while. What? I could tell you, I could tell you stories. I, can, I don't have time. I could tell you so many stories of God's provision for people who believed the good news and pursued Jesus as his followers. He sustains us. And it doesn't mean you have to always be on some crazy adventure with God. He just sustains us. It doesn't mean you might even not even leave your hometown. He sustains you, but he's going to invite you into more relationships. He's going to invite you to care for more than just your own. As a matter of fact, and this might be a little harsh, but here's the truth. Before I became a believer in Jesus, all I cared about was my family. Everyone else could just, I could care less. I would sit there and think it. Mine. And I don't care about anybody else. Bolt the door. God changes the heart like that and says, no, you're mine and these are mine. And it's my family. We ought to have eyes to see and ears to hear that truth. He's inviting us into a kingdom that is far richer than anything we could leave behind. 
Two things I want to point out are missing in the list. We talked about that last week a little bit. Two things, husbands and wives. I don't see a place in Scripture where Jesus says, leave your husband and wife for the good of the gospel of the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that funny? The one place I've heard more often people say, well, I think God's calling me out of this marriage. <laughs> God never says that in the Bible. I haven't found one. I'm not picking on anybody. I haven't found one. Matter of fact, I found a place where Paul writes to church and says, if you are a believer and your spouse is not a believer, suffer. <laughs> if they leave you, fine, but don't leave them because they might know the love of God through your endurance and care. That's powerful. That's in Scripture, 1 Corinthians. You can look it up. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6. Look, it's not in the list, but mother, father, brothers, sisters, homes, fields, yeah, that's all on the table. The other thing that's not in the list of, this is interesting to me, what you'll inherit a hundred times over is fathers. You won't get a hundred times more fathers. It doesn't say it. You think that's because your, your dad is your dad and that's it? Super dad? Irreplaceable. That's what I want to think as a father. Now you have one father. He's in heaven. Good news. No matter how good your earthly dad is or was, he does not hold a candle to the eternal king, the father. He doesn't. And and for children who have been hurt or abandoned, that is ridiculous. But even for those who have had an awesome dad, I want you to just magnify the Father all the more because of it. He's irreplaceable. God the Father in our lives. And Jesus knows it. And then right at the end of the list there, end persecutions, hardships will come in this age. And then after this age, you will have eternal life. But many who will be first will be last. And Jesus goes on then to teach this, uh, continue to expound this uh, hard teaching, I guess. And this is the fourth time now he says this. While they were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, the disciples were astonished. That means they were dumbfounded by what they just heard. Again, this is not something that they could just go, okay, got it, no problem. Peter had asked the question, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, you're going to get a reward. And then Jesus continues toward Jerusalem, leading the way, and they are stunned. Apostles are stunned. They cannot believe it. And those who are following Jesus begin to become afraid of where he's leading them. The people on the road with Jesus start to go, wait a minute, what's he talking about? And it's at that place where the disciples are stunned and the crowds are starting to get weary or wary. He says, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen. This is the fourth time, if you're paying attention. We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, who will spit on him, who will flog him, and who will kill him. And three days later, he will rise. This is the most detailed articulation Jesus has yet, if you've not noticed. It's been these kind of building, building, telling the disciples what's happening, and he begins to get very explicit. Why would he tell disciples ahead of time what they could expect? I think it's so you aren't shocked. So you're not surprised when you see it. And then three days later, he will rise. This is Jesus' mission. This is where Jesus is leading to, and this is where he's asking his followers to follow him to. Now check it out in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, there they are, came to him. Those are the brothers of the thunder. I love nicknames. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we would ask of you. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, 
Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. I just want to stop for a minute. A couple awesome things. The brothers of thunder who have been following Jesus, they've been in the core, right? They, 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 they feel freedom to ask Jesus something like that. Hey, Jesus, can I ask you something? I love that they're not afraid to ask. You remember before, these two were discussing along the road who was the greatest, you remember? And, and Jesus, they, wouldn't, they didn't dare to say it to Jesus, but now they're bold. They're like, hey, I'm going to ask you, can you do us a favor? Can you make one of us, one of my brother or I, your right hand, and my other brother, uh, your left? Can, can, can we sit here in your, look at the word says, glory. Now, traditionally, I pick on these guys for this. I go, Jesus just said, I'm going to die for your sins. And you say, can I have a glorious spot in eternity? <laughs> but I want to flip it around a little bit and say, they believed him. He didn't just say, I'm going to go into Jerusalem and be in my glory. He said, I'm going to go into Jerusalem, and I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to be spit and mocked and, and made fun of, and I'm going to be dead. And in three days, I'm going to rise, and then I'm going to be in glory. And I just want to say for a minute, do you think when James and John said, hey, can we set at your right hand and your left, do you think they were saying, we want to skip Jerusalem? Or do you think they were saying, they were, they were hardy fishermen, they said, we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you. Do you think they were being courageous? But if we go with you, when we go with you, and we suffer with you, will you set us at your right hand and left? In glory. See, was this an act of selfishness on their part or an act of faith? Let's read on and see if the text tells us anything. Jesus says this in 38, You do not know what you're asking of me. And he asked this, Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? The word is power. John, James, do you have the power to drink this cup? Do you have the power to be baptized in the way that I, the Son of Man, will be baptized? Do you have the power? Look at 39. Yes. See, I think that kind of calls into question their own selfishness and this desire to be at his right and left in glory. I know there's, that's pretty obvious. They go, well, it's glory, right? It's worth it. But they get, it seems they get it. Do you have the power to suffer with me? Yes. You remember, um, we're building toward Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's got the cup. He says, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Even Jesus don't want the cup. Do you have the power? Yes. Baptism, what do they mean? Getting wet in the Jordan? Getting dunked? He says what? I will be killed and three days later, I will rise, be baptized. Will you suffer the baptism? You know there's some of that in baptism for us. There's the idea that when we're baptized, that's why we kind of practice immersion for adult believers, those who are confessing Christ with the knowledge of what that means, that you lie down with Jesus under, and then you come back up, new life. But the truth is that we will all face death, and Jesus asked, well, you have the power to face death with me. And their answer, yes. Jesus says this, oh, you will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, baptism I'm baptized with. But to set at my right hand or my left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared ahead of time. Now he's going to teach. 
real quick, this is what he says. I'm going to drink the cup. You're going to drink it later. I'm going to be baptized in my baptism. You're going to be baptized later. That's how that works there. You know what I mean right now? But you're going to drink the cup. You follow Jesus, you're going to drink the cup. If you pursue Jesus, you're going to taste suffering. If you are after him, you're going to know the anguish. You're going to know part of what's happening on the cross. You're, you're not going to know it in some intellectual way. Yes, I know he died. He punched my stamp. I'm going to heaven and I just get to skip past all the pain and suffering. You're going to know it in some way in your spirit and your soul. You're going to feel the angst of the things that he experienced as he walked toward holiness in his father's name. He says, you will. Interesting, he never says you, you will you will have power yet. And I think there's a reason we won't, we'll get, you know, it comes after the gospel, right? But the power, where's the power going to come from to face death? Where's the power going to come from to taste the cup of suffering? It's going to come from the Holy Spirit of God. The one that is sent when Jesus ascends into heaven. You will. Then he begins to teach, 41. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them all together. So, division in the church. The minute they heard that James and John believed that they could sit at this place of power and they believed they could suffer with Jesus like this, they became indignant with him. The word there is the same as the indignation Jesus had whenever the disciples were shooing away children. He became indignant. It's the same thing here. They became indignant with each other. What is wrong with you to think you can, you can do this? And why do you think you're more special than we are? I'm sure that's a conversation went like that, right? Division. And Jesus begins to teach. I have a question as we get into the teaching here. Do you think he's teaching James and John? Or do you think he's teaching the, the ten disciples who are upset? Or do you think he's teaching everyone? Interesting to ask. What, what does he teach? You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their officials exercise great authority over their lives. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Favorite words in there. Not so with you. All the division happening, all the angst happening amongst the twelve. Ten verses two, right? Cage match. Somebody's going to die. Jesus says, no, not with you. That's not how we rule. That's not how we serve, how we reign in power. This idea that there are two, two ways that the Gentiles, the Gentiles are any people who aren't God, of God here, by the way. We don't have this revelation of Gentiles at this point in the text, but it's coming. But it means the people who are not of God at this point. Gentiles who supposedly want to be first are always looking toward downward ownership. That's the first word, lordship. We, we kind of don't have that, but it, it's, a, it's an oppressive ownership of something. It, you are mine. I will do with you what I want. And there's, there's some idea that Jesus is rebuking this, this, correcting this belief they have that they're going to rule over in that way, be dominant over someone else by way of ownership. And then the second, it says they'll exercise power, but it means that they will ultimately control someone else's life. That's their desire. I wonder if in your own life, 
like me, do you have a tendency toward this broken leadership model of ownership and control? Do you almost automatically go to that place? Ownership and control. Today's Mother's Day. Do we not sometimes transgress a boundary with our children believing that we own them and that we control their lives? Is that how we lead? Jesus says, not so with you. That's not how we do it. Instead, he says, whoever is greatest among you will serve all. And as a matter of fact, then he says, the perfect example is himself. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as payment for many souls. This is the model. Here's what's amazing. We be pretty hard on ourselves when we say, man, I always have a tendency to dominate. I always have a tendency to control. But I can tell you that the greatest power growth I have witnessed, and I'm not saying that I've done it. I'm not saying I'm, I just get to see it. You know what I mean? Part of the glory of following Jesus, you get to see Jesus work in people's lives. You know, you're not doing it. You're just witnessing the power of God in their lives, and they just start to let go. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't, they, re, they, re, they pull back from that, you know, ownership model and that kind of, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do every moment of your life. And they're just going to go, man, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to pray fervently. I'm going to believe that he has plans for you that I can't see right now. And they trust what God is doing in the lives of those that they love. Great growth. They serve. We said it. Man, I've seen it. Faithful, believing, serving, sacrificing moms. Guys see it. I'm right? Because you're always like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> or, I won't do that. This is the model of leadership in the kingdom of God. Jesus believes that that's the way we're called to live. So we have this first idea that, you know, what's it going to cost us to follow Jesus? And, and then this, how are we going to, who's going to be wearing the kingdom? And how are we going to rule? How are we going to have authority? And all this, and Jesus says, you're going to have authority through servanthood, through, through sacrificing, through suffering. That's how you're going to serve others. You're going to be made less of so that the kingdom of God made more of. You're going to make it attractional to people to believe that God actually loves them by your sacrifice for one another. <laughs> Different. 46, they came to Jericho, this historic, beautiful city on the way to Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving that city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, by the way, Bar-Timaeus, it's right there in the name, was sitting by the roadside begging. He was a blind beggar sitting by the roadside. 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. This is all tied together, folks. I know you're thinking, now why are we moving into this next? Shouldn't it be the own story? No. This is all tied together. Jesus is teaching about what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. 
Guys on the side of the road, says he's foggy, <laughs> says, says he's smoky, he can't, I don't know if he's fully blind, I don't know if he's blind since birth, he just can't see clearly, he sits on the side of the road. I don't know if you have a derogatory sense of him being a beggar on the side of the road, because it says he's begging, but it says he's a blind beggar sitting, that's what the word says, he's a blind beggar, but he's known to be a beggar, that's what he does, he has nothing to offer, nothing to offer. And he's sitting on the side of the road. And what does the word say? Look at the word. What does it say? He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he makes this ridiculous proclamation. The word says he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Matter of fact, the word says that they began to rebuke him. Be quiet. Who? They. Crowds. Everyone following Jesus. Would you keep it down? This is like the children. This is like the same thing again. This is like, stop it. Listen to me. I don't know where you are today. Our culture has very little tolerance for desperate people. Can you just suck it up and act right? Can you just stop screaming for a minute? You know, the word beggar there means he asked perpetually. Please, 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 please. People were sick of it. They knew Bartimaeus. Will you just stop for a minute? Do you not know who this is? Oh, he knew. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he cried out. And you might go, okay, I get it, man. You're excited because he's crying out to Jesus. Listen, the word says he screeched. The word says like a, a crow. Like that? Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. See, we aren't comfortable with that kind of need, are we? You're following Jesus in your life, but you want it to be super safe. You don't want to follow Jesus where you're on the side of the road with no way forward. And she's like, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus does not care. What's the word say? They said, would you be quiet? Would you stop? Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, megas, louder, poly, many, many more times. He would not be silenced. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. Jesus is calling you. Look at the word. Come on, folks. Look at the word. 50 throwing off his cloak, the covering he had been setting in on the side of the road. He leapt to his feet and he came to Jesus. 51. What do you want me to do for you? Does that sound familiar? James and John, Rabbi, can we ask you to do anything we want? What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus responds, Rabbi, I want to see. What's the greatest need? I want to see. I want to know. The word can be interpreted, I want my eyesight, um, I want to receive my eyesight, or I want my eyesight restored. As if he could see before and he lost it. Desperate, 
for Jesus. We know how it ends. 52, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately, straight away, without delay, that man Bartimaeus received his sight. And he followed Jesus on the road. What's the difference? James and John, can we be with you in glory? Can we have a position of authority? Can we rule, reign, have everything at our fingertips? Right? Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. I want to say something to you folks. Listen, life's hard, and I get that. And uh, I'm a second career pastor. I was out there in life. I began to ingest the words of Scripture like this. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I remember I used to pray that prayer on my commute. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. You're struggling in your life. What's going on? You can't cope. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's a great prayer to, to pray in your life. What would you have to do for you? What would you have to do? Bartimaeus believed. Believed that Jesus would do what he says that I might be able to see. So what is, I'm going to wrap here, what is the desire that you have in your heart as you approach God? Or maybe more properly, after Bartimaeus, what is the desire that you have in your heart when God comes to you? What's the first thing you're asking for? Is it to rule, to control, to have more things your way, have more safety? more security, more surety of the things that you want? Or is it to see, to know, to be reminded that we are not God, but He is, to receive mercy from our King? What do you believe that God might do? I can tell you this. As a church family, we pray great things for you. We pray that God will do great things in your lives, great things in your marriages, great things in your children, great things in your parents, great things in your jobs. But we pray more than anything else that God would become greater than all those things. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this great witness of the saints who come before us. We thank you for the great mercy and patience that you've displayed to us in all of our wandering, in all of our selfishness, all of our brokenness. Oh, and we sense you in our blessing. We thank you that you have poured out abundantly in our lives your mercy and your grace, whether we're asking or not. And we know, Father, that Mother's Day can be a high day. It can be an awesome day where everything is going right. And we just thank you for those days. It's beautiful but we know that those days can be full of difficulty as well. Suffering, hardship, brokenness, things that need healing, and we don't want to come to you as half people, but whole people that need a whole God. Today, Father, would you work in our lives to restore us as your kingdom people? Would you help us to see the things that you're doing and would we be willing to pursue you rather than all of our desires? I'll ask, Father, that you would dare, that you would help us to dare to believe 
that you have a hundred times better stuff in our life than anything you're asking us to leave. I pray a prayer of obedience that if you say leave, we would. May you be glorified. May your people be refreshed in your word. May we pursue you faithfully. We love you so much. We thank you for the chance today to expound your word, to hear from the Holy Spirit, and to be taught by you directly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.